Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. Philosophy is filled with many things that tell us about what it means to be human. One could even argue that this is the primary aim of philosophy. But there's very little that tells us more about the human experience than how we treat each other. Many of the topics we've covered thus far have overtures to this idea. Politics, economics, art. They all cover themselves with how we interact with other people. Today, we're going to look at that specific topic a little closer with the philosophy of civility. <clears throat> all right, so we've... um. We've looked at a bunch of different topics so far, and I feel like a lot of them are pretty classically philosophical. You know, even even with our new direction, politics, economics, these are these are things that have been considered to a pretty great extent. And civility, when you when you first mentioned it to me, I thought, well, I don't know, that one seems a little bit a little bit in the left field. <laughs> but then when you think about it, it's really not. Like I think classical philosophers have talked about it, yes. and it's also something that is a bit um it's it's uh it's a part of those other things as well you can't have politics or economics without having civility so um that's that's right really it's more basic to philosophy than even those topics so i'm a little excited to uh (laughs) to look at it um so let's start out with with the essence of it what what is civility um i think that People who are coming into it, they might think to themselves, well, being civil, isn't that just being polite? You know, what, what do you, what would you say about that? I would say, as you know, I often do is the etymology. Uh, so, uh, in ancient Latin, uh, civilis or civilitas meant the responsibilities of being a citizen. And in the mid-ish 16th century, um, so when the idea of chivalry and, and all of that was developing, the uh, layer of politeness sort of grew out of or into the word. And that's what we have mostly concentrated on since. Certainly, as you say, now you say civility and people think politeness almost immediately. But <clears throat> I like that it has that undertone of of something more than just politeness, that it also has to do with order, uh, decency, responsibility to others. <laughs> I started to sound like a Boy Scout on that one. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Captain uh, America could have said uh, that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, right. So the, the word... Um, I think that the word is a little bit more proactive than than people would think. There's a little bit of you have to contribute something um, to um, to the community yes. as par- as part of civility, as opposed to just being polite to to somebody that you meet. Um, do you think politeness is a a necessary part of civility? <laughs> That's a good question. I think that it, well, it's certainly, if it's sincere, um, it's nice. 
insincere politeness is almost more grating than just not being polite at all. Right. Um, and usually one can tell the difference. I would think that the, the, the sincere politeness is the, the topping on the, the larger thing. So, I, no, you don't have to be polite to be civil, technically, I would think. But if you really are working at the civility, then politeness helps. Right. Okay. So the reason I bring that up is because it it really it brings to the forefront how many overtones and complexities there are to something like civility. Civility is not I don't even think you can think of it as a single concept. As a matter of fact, when I was um doing some research for the show ahead of time, there was a couple of researchers who had um established a um a structure for civility that and they say that it's not it's not a single act it's more of a um it's a sequence of actions that somebody takes and it's a you know it's a continuum of behaviors it's a discipline yes that's what you said continuum continuum of behavior is a good phrase yeah so discipline i suppose means the same kind of thing i think yours is more technically accurate but it's it's a practice Right, and, and, I, and I've woefully fallen short sometimes in that practice. I think most most of us as humans do. It's as with any practice, yoga or or any discipline. It is easy to slip out of it unless one is mindful of it. And then, uh, and sometimes it's the harder course. Being right, civil. and then so it brings up an interesting question, which is, you know, with all of the different socio-cultural backgrounds that exist across the world there has to be different um ideas of what civility is in different parts of the world something that may be civil in one part could be considered rude in another part yes yes and so that's why the other yeah the rudeness if well politeness and rudeness are sort of counters to each other aren't they right all right Uh, but i think the civil part is also just as um, relativistic or uh, unique to to various cultures too. What was the responsibility of a citizen? So you know, we are back to it's really what other things we've talked about. Uh, what does it mean to be a participant in civil life? You know, so the yes, many many different variants. I keep I keep thinking of Kant though. Kant. It, yeah, because he's my superhero, I suppose. But only, be, but when he uh, one of his principles of categorical imperative, which we've talked about before, so a, a universal rule uh, or a universal duty. Uh, his second principle is: do never treat any person as a means to an end, but treat them as an end in themselves. And that seems to me a more than adequate definition of civility because it, it suggests an engagement, the treating of the person. It suggests an engagement of, of equality. Uh, it it uh, denies or decries the, uh, thing, uh, the possibility of using someone in order to accomplish something you want to accomplish. And I think that might actually be universal. Right, and... I, that's why I was asking about politeness, um, if it was a prerequisite to civility, because that was sort of a litmus test as to um, how uh, our shared understanding of it. And also, like, 
it has some personal consequences for me because, like, I'd like to think that I'm a civil person, but I really am not good with some of the, the polite stuff. And I'm not sure if it's because I'm extremely introverted or what, what the case is. But, like, there's certain things. One that sticks out to me right away is, um, for whatever reason, I feel really uncomfortable um, saying bless you to people after they sneeze. Right? <laughs> so, and, okay. and my wife is exactly the opposite. If she hears somebody, you know, cough quietly three rooms away, she'll yell bless you. But, you know, like I just, for whatever reason, you know, it's, I don't know, I don't know if it's like, I know the historical background of it or, yeah. you know, to me, it's just, well, it's just a bodily function. If somebody itched their elbow, I'm not going to tell them bless you. So, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, if they sneeze, I, I don't know what it is. I, I can't say, but whatever reason, I just, I can't bring myself to do it. And mm -hmm. I, f I feel impolite. I feel like, man, why don't I just do it? You know, but, but so if, hmm. if politeness was, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, and I see where you're going. might say, okay, well, that is that uncivil? Or is it just impolite? Hmm. And I think that what you mentioned with Kant kind of highlights how somebody could be civil and yet impolite. Um, I think that that really is, like I said, sort of the litmus test is, what are your interactions with somebody accomplishing? Because I think anybody who's met me or had a conversation with me would know <clears throat> that if, I'm, if we're having a conversation, I'm taking a genuine interest in what you have to say. Yes. But getting to that point with me is extremely difficult. <laughs> if I walk past you in the street, I'm not going to make eye contact. I'm not going to... I'm very bad with hellos and goodbyes. I rarely ever greet somebody first or, you know, say... I'm, I'm just very impolite and I, I really struggle with it. Um, but if, we, if, if somebody can wrangle me into an actual conversation... Um, you know, I, I do take an interest in what's being said, and we're trying to have a, a good dialogue. I saw something the other day. My, my best friend sent it to me, I, actually. He said, and it said, um, introverts don't make friends. They're just adopted by extroverts. <laughs> he said, hey, look, it's you and me. I said, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. You know, I was just minding my own business, and then you cornered me into talking, and then you we became friends. You say this, you know? but this is really fascinating. I know this is the, the personal side of all of this, but... And that's because you first encountered me as a teacher, and, and, and so the dynamics may have been different. I've never found you impolite. Um, you were the one who reached out to me to have to wrangle the conversations, and there was no wrangling about it, you know. It, and, and, it, and it was very much Kantian because it wasn't about, oh, let's use each other to see how we can make something uh, happen and take credit for it or something like that. None of that. So I find it interesting that you see that about yourself because I wouldn't even say it's impolite to not say bless you. That's a that's a trained almost that's a trained response. It's a, it's a it's a, perhaps a trained politeness. I think there might be a level of difference between that and an an attentiveness and maybe attentiveness is the politeness that I'm thinking about when you when you're talking to someone, you got the eye contact, you're fully there. Whether you say bless you to me if I sneeze or not, I'd, I'd rather not have somebody notice because right. I have egregious sneezes anyway, and it's just, I'd rather just... <laughs> well, and that's, and that's why the, the first part of this podcast is so important is because it's really kind of hard to find like a universal definition of civility, yeah. and how much politeness plays into it varies among the different players. But um, the University of Massachusetts has four keys to... Um, civility. Hmm. And 
none of them address politeness at all. So it's, it says practice active listening, learn when to walk away from conversations, mm-hmm. be an upstander, not a bystander, which refers to if you see something happening that is inappropriate or whatever, you stand up for what's right rather than just standing yes. by and letting something happen. Yeah. And then practicing gratitude. So being thankful for things big and small. And so it's funny because you li- you list those things on your own. You're like, well, how does that add up to civility? But then when you think about the behaviors that would stem from that sort of thing, it kind of makes it kind it of takes makes us right back to the golden mean. Long before the you know the golden rule that right mm-hmm. that treat others as you would wish to be treated. Well, do you want to be listened to attentively? Uh, what were some of those other ones? Do you, do, yeah. Do you you know do you want to be listened to attentively? Um, you know, do you want you want to pick your battles? Know when it's appropriate to have difficult conversations and when you should walk away from those conversations. Sometimes a battle picks you mm-hmm. in the sense of upstanding or bystanding, and and are you going you to have a duty stand to stand up, up if right. you're if you're being civil, not not because you want to have a battle, but because bystanding simply exacerbates the incivility, right? Yeah, so this has been kind of an interesting, it seems like a sidetrack, but I don't think it really is. I think that we've actually come a long way towards defining civility, but I think that we should get a little bit more into, um, back to the, the technical mm-hmm. bit a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're talking about what is it? So we have, you know, is it politeness? Is it a social contract? Is it a, just an adaptive behavior? I think we've sort of ruled out politeness and adaptive behavior as being um, being core elements of civility. They're, they're probably results of it, you know, of yeah. practicing it, but they're not central tenets. Because I wouldn't want, you know, as you say, you go to a dictionary, you see the dictionary definition and many of the standard current um, off-the-shelf at Walmart dictionaries just have politeness. Mm-hmm. They don't have the, the other ideas, but I think those other really are the core. Right. So do you think it's a social contract? Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, you know... It's Rousseauian in a sense. You're saying, this is what me and my fellow man have, that we owe each other at least this at a basic level sort of thing. Okay. And and I don't think civility is is bypassing... Now, I may be jumping ahead so you can shut me down. Uh, It's not bypassing important things. Oh, I'll get along with you by talking about the weather. Oh, oh, oh it's Christmas time. And so, uh, have you gotten all your gifts? Have you got all the, the banter, the social grease? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's civility. That's politeness. Right. Which is why if we had met and you weren't a teacher, we probably wouldn't be doing this right now. Because if you'd wanted to talk <laughs> to me about the weather, I probably wouldn't have been that great at carrying on that conversation. And I and would, would never really have wanted to have the I, You know, I, you may think otherwise, and I, but I think I have an element of the introvert. People would laugh who know me, okay. But uh, given the choice of silence or talking about the weather, I would probably choose silence. When I'm in a gathering of people, and this will make me sound like an elitist snob, which I don't think that I am, but if I'm in a gathering of people and they start with the weather and, they, and then they're talking about all the kind of surface things, 
And I like to say, what are you reading? Mm-hmm. Oh, have you, have you, what have you done that's creative for yourself lately or something? Like that? And usually that momentarily shuts down the conversation and people look and, but then sometimes people actually start to have that. Because to me, that's much more meaningful than, well, we can all see what the weather, we can't affect the weather. Well, we, we do, but we can't, we can't make it better mm-hmm. uh, in the immediate moment. Uh, do I see it snowing? It's snowing. Yes. <laughs> right, right. And I feel like, I might be wrong, but I feel like that's a universal experience that everybody's had where mm-hmm. um, they've suddenly found themselves alone with somebody and they realize, oh, I kind of thought this person and I were friends, but now that we're alone, the lack of conversation we have and like the lack of social maneuvering we have really kind of opens my eyes to we're acquaintances. <laughs> and not that you can't become friends from that point, but mm-hmm. you suddenly realize you have no knowledge of any deeper aspect of a person, you know? And, you know, I think that how that plays into civility, you know, is kind of different, but it comes back to what we were saying, which is that, are you using people as a means to an end? Um, so you think this person is your friend, but really it's just somebody that, like you said, is greasing the social wheels of your group or how, how yes, it is. Yes. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a conscious, malicious. No, I don't think, them, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily malicious. I don't think it's, I don't think it's often malicious mm-hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it there but it does make me think and maybe you want to get to this later but it makes me think of a conversation we had before the show where you were talking about cooperation and collaboration mm-hmm. uh, and one of those is just a little more passive or uh, less active <laughs> than than the other um, it's it's uh, t- t- the social grease is important if it particularly if it leads to if not friendship then acquaintanceship if it leads to an attempt to understand why someone else feels the way they do that's hard work civility is hard work yeah and i think that you know having just come from doing that for a school project i think it's relevant so i'll, I'll talk about it a little bit collaboration versus cooperation really that kind of describes civility it's it's sort of a a meta look at life a little bit you know is are the relationships that you have cooperative which means that are the people that you know in life you're all working towards the same end everybody's trying to have a good life but are you going about doing that separately but together (laughs) or are you working with people to create a good life and i think that sort of determines whether or not you're being civil or whether or not you're just cooperating or coexisting, you know? Uh, coexisting particularly. Right. Okay, so you just made me think of, of something I, 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 don't, I think is relevant. Because I, I was, I won't obviously say any names, but at time of year, we're at the end of the semester, I'm a college teacher, and we're and the last papers, and I'm responding back to and talking to people about what they're saying in the papers and trying to urge them just a little bit more before the last couple of days, mm-hmm. you know. And, and one of my students wrote uh, about, uh, said uh, in the context of the paper, uh, people, uh, my family always told me that nobody owes you anything. Life owes you 
nothing. And I, and I wrote back to her and said, gosh, I just, I just don't feel that way. Uh, and you don't have to agree with me, and that's fine, but here's what I'm thinking. We live in a, a system that is a social contract. We, therefore, owe the government something, and the government owes us something in return, if you just take it from the political viewpoint. If we are volunteers for an organization, if we try to help out, and many, many, many people do this in large and small ways, they're so important to help somebody else out. Well, if you do that, you do it because you feel that you owe it to your community or you owe it to somebody. We use the capitalistic owe and purchase and buy and all. But you owe it as a, as a deontological thing, a duty-based thing, or you, or you do it out of a sense of altruism. But if you've truly felt that nobody owed anybody anything, then you would be isolated, uncommunicative, unresponsive to the needs of others. And I just don't believe, and I think she didn't mean that, but I, and I think a lot of people who say it because they want to be uh, show that we're just completely independent. We don't need anybody. But of course we do. Right. <laughs> we know this psychologically, and we know it economically, and, and, and pick out your, your topic. So I think the civility is, uh, civility denies the idea of isolation. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, that kind of moves us a little bit into the formative um, aspects of civility. Because if you take from that, and this might be a worn out trope, maybe listeners are kind of sick of hearing it. But for me, um, when we're talking about basic elements of philosophy, and what it means, essentially what it means to be human, mm -hmm. one of the best ways to get out of that perspective is to look at things that aren't human. So we look, we look at an animal kingdom. Do animals have civility? Well, you know, probably not because based off of the things that we've just talked about, um, animals have social behaviors yeah. and social contracts, but a lot of them are based around sexual selection or um, group hierarchies or that sort of thing. That doesn't really fall into the realm of civility, does it? it, it no, I, I think it doesn't. But I and I may have mentioned this in one of our earlier podcasts, and forgive me if I've repeated it. But you just saying that the time of year brings it to mind. Uh, a, a few years ago, I think it was three three years ago, I was coming back from Batavia to Warsaw down the East Road, which people are listening may have no idea where that is, perhaps, but. It's a country road, it's, and and down a hillside, shale cliffs on both sides, and and lots of trees. I saw a movement in front of me, and I and I there was no one behind me. It was, it was snowing a little bit, and I slowed, and and then I stopped. I pulled off slightly, and I I just stopped and watched because there was a raccoon in the road. Um, the motion I had seen was the raccoon was tugging a dead raccoon off the road in a snowy night. And it stunned me. I watched, I teared up, I, I you know, because it seemed, and it was stunning because I'd not seen anything like that before. 
And I, you know, then I drove on. There was no, as I said, it was an empty road. So I watched until it got all the way off. And then I just drove on. But I couldn't. That image has always stayed with me. And I mentioned it to a friend or an acquaintance, really, not a friend. And and, uh, and that acquaintance suggested, well, perhaps the, the raccoon just wanted to eat the, the meat that was left. Well, I honestly don't know if they do that. <laughs> I don't know if they're raccoon cannibals. But I... But it seemed to me an enormous expenditure of effort. And it suggested a relationship. But that's all it did. It was a sketch. Um, so I don't know. I don't, civility in the sense of an organized structure of behavior that one willingly participates in? No, I think probably not. But then I think of the records. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's the the craziest part about philosophy and life in general is it doesn't matter what question you look at. Every question is just this Mandelbrot fractal of <laughs> no matter how close you zoom in, there's these other questions and these other things that you can't answer. It doesn't matter if you're looking at the origins of the universe or animal behavior or what it is. You you just examine it. And then there's these other questions and, you know, it, it, it really makes it this, the whole theory that they have the, we live inside a simulation, not seem that far fetched because you'd think about it. <laughs> if life, if, if life were a video game and you didn't want the people inside it to know that it was fake, you would design it exactly like this because you can <laughs> never find any real answers to anything. You know, if, yeah. if you knew, if we knew the answers, then it would seem like, okay, well, this is real. But the fact that no yeah. matter what you look at just keeps, yeah. you know, yeah. subatomic particles are just this sort of, you know, extrapolation of a solar system at a smaller level. And that's very simplistic. You know, it's not, not entirely true. But, but um, you know, that the it whole thing. It was true does, in my youth. Right. Does, <laughs> it doesn't matter how you, what you look at or how you look at it. There's, there's, it's very hard to find any answers, you know, and that's what makes philosophy so interesting. But if you find an answer, let's uh, suppose this, suppose I, suppose I bother to look, I try to look up about raccoon behavior. There are specialists in raccoon behavior. I just know there have to be because we have specialists in everything. And perhaps I could find a definitive answer. I said, well, yes, mates uh, look after each other. That still doesn't answer the question of civility necessarily. Or, yes, the raccoon uh, will uh, use the meat of its uh, species when it finds that it's dead. What it doesn't change is how I saw that and how I responded to it. It, it can alter what I know, uh, epistemologically, what I know. It can alter, I take in fresh facts and say, oh, oh, so that's what raccoons do. Mm. Nonetheless, there's still that primal moment of experience of watching that happen that made me question. And that still would linger no matter what the facts were. It doesn't, it's not that I would, I would resist and I would say, oh, no, those, those raccoons loved each other. No, that, no, if the specialists tell me no, then I would have every reason to believe that. But I would still say, but isn't it interesting? Yeah, and, and even the specialist, I mean, really, a specialist is doing what humans do, which is categorizing and drawing generalizations based off of um, large-scale patterns. Mm -hmm. But there's always... Inductively. The in, there's always in, in the individual unknowns, you know? Like, like we were talking about earlier with, you know... I'm I'm not a you know I'm one of a kind. Now do I 
possess certain patterns or behaviors that fall into general categories, sure. But then there's other things that are sort of unknowns. Yes. And animals are no different. You know, a cat is about the same size as a raccoon, and every cat you know has a different personality. Very rarely, you know, you mm-hmm. don't... Some you are social, some are not. You can't treat them all the same. So, <laughs> no. you know, there's a very real possibility that even if an expert says a raccoon would do a commit that behavior for a certain reason, that raccoon might still be doing it for a different reason because it doesn't fall into the general categories that have been assigned to it by people. So it just goes to show the whole categorization of knowledge that we have is it's accurate, you know, because it's based off of data, it's based off of observations. I don't ever want to have that be confused. Um, But it doesn't hide the fact that we don't know everything. Exactly you know? so. And, and any, 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 uh, any ethically practicing scientist would, they say this all the time in their writing and, the, and in their TED Talks and so on. We do. That's the inductive nature of it. Bring it on. Let's have more facts <laughs> and the more things that we don't know. But does civility have a use? Yeah. So I, that's a formative question, you know, what? How did civility evolve? When did it evolve? What purpose does it have in human um, interactions? Couldn't we couldn't we just get by with being polite? Why why do we need civility? <laughs> why why do you think that it why do you think that that evolved in human behavior? Because civil because civilization right in, in, evolved in human behavior because we created the we uh, when i say created or if i said fabricated or uh, that it's an artificial structure that's not a negative it's not a pejorative term Uh, a a political structure is uh, is a structure and a structure that has been created by human beings is fabricated is is artificial the artifice, art of it, mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is evident. And so if you're going to have a system in which people live together, there have to be rules. And now we're back to politics. And, 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 and part of the rules would be treat each other with respect. Treat each other as if everyone has some knowledge and and has feelings and feelings are messy but we all have them and sometimes especially in the young they will come up and not just in the young uh, and and we have the choice really of deciding because it is artifice do we just be rude as a surface level thing because underneath we don't care we don't want to care. It takes too much energy to care. I just want to live my life the way I want to live it and everybody else leave me alone. And and that's okay, but it's not really okay because really quickly it leads to the, the darker things. Um, it, not only do I not care, but if I care, it's because I care about the right things. I'm going to moralize and tell you what you can't do. Mm-hmm. That's not civility. Right. So what you just said, this brings me back to the collaboration and cooperation um, project I was working on yesterday. Because the question that they ask is, you know, what's the difference between the two? Did the team you were working with do one or the other? And which one's more important? So in answering the which is more important question, um, 
you know, I said, I think it's contextual because I think there actually are scenarios where cooperating could be advantageous to collaborating. And it's a very narrow set. I think that it's if you have a small group and if you're doing an unskilled labor task, you're probably better off cooperating because if you're collaborating, if you're discussing, oh, well, what's the best way to do this? Well, yeah. I don't agree with that. You know, it's rather an inefficient thing. You know, if it's an unskilled task, you're better off just, hey, you take that part. I'll take this part. When we're done, we've we've completed the end goal, you know, but we've worked separately to do it. Yes. But that's probably, probably about it. Other than that, collaborating is probably more effective for several reasons. And what I ended up using as an example in the paper was, you know, no one person could send a man to the moon. Right. No one person could build a car. No one person, um, you know, could educate a thousand students in every single, you know, topic. Right. You know? Right. So as a result, you need to have um, school with administrators and different teacher specializations. You need to have a government with different sectors. You need to have businesses with engineers and salespeople and all these different parts. You need to work together and have different sections. And I, I like, I like to do little thought experiments with myself, you know, which is like, what if I replaced every 7 billion people on earth with just me? You know, what, what would the world look like? You know, would, would all of us develop in different ways where we'd be able to at least build a car? You know, do I have the mental capacities to do the engineering work and to do all this other stuff and all these other things? What you quickly realize is that, no, society would look <laughs> vastly different because I don't, you know, yes. you know, I don't have the skills to do a lot of things, you know. Yes. And so, and that thought experiment really highlights the value in other people. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody's different from you. It doesn't matter if somebody holds different opinions or has different skills or whatever it is. Different people have value in just being different from you. There's your Kant. There's your Kantian thought. Yes value in and of themselves mm -hmm. that cannot be um, adequately defined in the, a label or uh, being placed in a silo category of, of some kind uh, because value will not be housed that way. <laughs> so, so, you know, society and civilization, really, um, if you're looking at it, it's it's more abstract, but it's really no different than building a car, or sending a man to the moon. Um, you know, you've basically what you're saying is you're looking at it and saying, this is something we can't have society. We can't have civilization if we're all working separately towards having it. It's essentially anarchy. And I won't be shy about saying anarchy is not a legitimate Former government, you know, no, so, no, it, 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 because it's not a government, right, right, and it, it's not going to work. So, you know, that's that's what you're looking at. Is civilization is the car. Civilization is the man on the moon. Civilization is these things where you have to, you can't work separately. You can't just coexist and work separately and have civilization. You have to collaborate. You have to share ideas, discuss things. Um, and establish rules in politics, mm -hmm. establish, you know, patterns of behavior and economics, establish value systems, all of the, you have to do all of these different things to have, um, a civilization. And I think that that sort of captures why civility developed in the first place is because I think, I think it does. Yeah. 
you know, whether consciously or unconsciously, at some point, people realized, I can't, I just can't do it all by myself, you know, and they if you had to think about it, it probably happened pretty early on because, you know, you, you know, you probably had early groups of maybe a dozen individuals where you had an alpha male, an alpha individual who was stronger or smarter or more decisive than other individuals. And he led that group. But as soon as that group expands beyond that dozen people or leaves a hunter gatherer mindset and starts, settles down, starts doing things, you, you know, all right. of a sudden. Those skills that make somebody um, the alpha individual in a group don't necessarily make that person the the best person to lead a society. Mm -hmm. You almost need more than that. Yeah. And you have monarchies where it's essentially one individual leading a country, but even in that, you know, you know, there's stewards and advisors and people who have specialist roles. So I think. And you don't, want, you don't want to be led by a person who thinks that he or he is all things to all people, has every skill that can possibly, is the best at everything. Mm. That's dangerous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, as far as formative questions go, you know, I think that... I think we nailed that one pretty well. We figured out why civility came about. We figured out, you know, probably probably when it came about. I'm thinking, you know, as soon as you have a group that's... As soon as power... As soon as something besides power, going back to our political conversation, mm -hmm. as soon as the politics of the group extend beyond power and decision-making you need to have some sort of civilized you know conduct between individuals yeah so let's head into the speculative part then which is so what what should civility be the things that we've talked about so far um do you think that that completely encapsulates what civility should be or do you think that there's other things that we can add to it well, there are probably other things. There are probably other things to add to it, but I say that, and yet I, I, I'm at the same moment thinking to myself, "Yeah, but let's get to the basic part <laughs> together first, because I think we could not, in truth, say that we all, as a country, treat." each other, as Kant would have said, treat each other as an end, not a means. We don't all even treat each other as equals. And, and probably none of us does 100% of the time uh, because of our flawed humanity uh, that we have to keep working on. So, yes, I'm sure there are other things, but if we could just get that far, can we recognize that we are more than X, Y, or Z? Can we recognize that you are legitimate and I am legitimate and the decisions that I make and the decisions that you make are, are need to cohere in some way so that we are all better for it? Right. That's a pretty big recipe in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that we can probably tackle it piece by piece. And I think that the, the 
probably the first place to start would be the semantic part of it. Okay. I think that there's when establishing why America, why civility in America is, is an issue. I think some of it's semantics and this time of year is perfect for it. Right. <laughs> so let's say I go someplace and I wish somebody happy holidays. Right. Yes. And let's say that person blows up at me. No, it's Merry Christmas. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> my next thing would then to be saying, well, then Merry Christmas. Yes. And to move on. And yes. that sort of highlights it. it. It's really semantics. The thought behind my action was to wish this person, a, you know, a, a happy season. Yes. But without knowing the particulars of their situation, I don't know what, what holiday they're going to celebrate, so I use a general term. And this really angers some people, <laughs> you know? It and, does. You know? And so that... And so that's the thing is if semantics are important, right? So I think that it's very, it, it's just as easy for somebody to wish somebody a Merry Christmas in a, um, in a way that maybe seeking to, um, establish a, a tribalistic sort of my way of life is better than yours. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's probably more possible than it is for somebody to wish somebody a happy holidays and really mean. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever it is. I, you know, I the, the thought I, is there. The so thought why is there. You, why, you know, I think it's better to do what you did because you were being, as, as an example, let's take that as a what if. The example is I'm being attentive. I'm being polite on the surface. I'm also opening the possibility, however brief, of finding out something more about you. If you if you wish to offer something, then I will adjust and, and say to you, yeah, "Happy Kwanzaa" or "Merry Christmas" or "Happy Hanukkah," and on and on the list goes. <laughs> this will anger somebody. Here I go. <laughs> this season is not owned by one religion. <laughs> it's not even owned entirely by religion. Period. I mean, imagine someone, if you really wanted to stretch it and go up to someone and say, happy beginning of longer days. Happy celebration of the fir tree. <laughs> you right. know, um, happy candle light. Uh, what, 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 you know, but, but I mean, those are the, the roots of all of this. Whatever else we know about the season, we know that this wasn't when in the in the sacred mythology that the the baby was actually born we that calend calendrically we know that much so it's all an artifice but people want to own the artifice and share it share it in their way but not acknowledge other ways and, and get put off by the littlest things and being put off by the littlest things is not being civil right yeah, it kind of goes back to that list that we were looking at earlier. Um, you know, are you being attentive to other people? <laughs> are you being grateful for certain things? You know, all that other stuff kind of plays in a little bit. But so we can look at it and say, all right, well, there's there's a semantic issue. You know, sometimes it would appear, um, you know, people are being uncivil when in reality this is semantics. And I guess that opens up another question. So political correctness 
Um, how does phrase. political correctness play into civility? I, I, I hate that phrase because I don't believe that it exists. As a person who is a lifelong wordsmith, trained and practiced, um, it is a it is a construct that has nothing but negative and pejorative use. It it suggests something that was never intended. Oh. What does political correctness mean, really? What? Let, let's just. Let, you know what? You know what jumps to mind with me is off that list that I read off earlier. Mm-hmm. The the upstander versus bystander. I think that political correctness as a concept has been pigeonholed into people who are bystanders. So I think that if I say happy holidays. The people who that upsets are people who think that I'm saying that because I'm afraid to say Merry Christmas. Yes. I'm not afraid to say Merry Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Yes. Now, if I was saying Happy Holidays because I was afraid I would offend somebody, that difference in motivation is what separates civility from politeness. And I feel like that's the problem with the term political correctness. That's well said. That's is awesome. that it's it's the motivation behind it and the same thing you know well you're just saying politically correct because you're mincing words you know you're just mm-hmm. you don't want to say what actually needs to be said you know and i feel like that's where a lot of misunderstanding happens between um some of these different groups is you know one group looks at it as you're not willing to say what needs to be said and the other group is looking at it as mm-hmm. i'm willing to say what needs to be said but i want to express it in a way that is attentive to the groups that I'm speaking to. Now, let's take that word needs. I'm saying what needs to be said. But you, introvert, (laughs) going back to what you said earlier, probably didn't really need to say it at all. Right. Right. So when you say need, I just, you know, why does it need to be said? You know, well, I think that it comes back to to civility. You know, if you're having a conversation or if you, you know, if I want so, if I really want to wish somebody a happy season, then I guess I need to say it. Or if I'm having a difficult okay. conversation, you know, you if you're having a difficult conversation and you need to say something, then you have to decide how you're going to express that. And I think that, are you going to... Okay. Express it as you're speaking about people and groups of people who have value and feelings and worth, or are you going to speak about it as if people are objects or um, something other than you? Precisely. Precisely. So semantics and then intentionality. Mm-hmm. They're related, but they're, they're not the same thing. Someone can get really upset, and, and has, not many people. Usually I have students generally very happy when I write a letter at the beginning of the semester, send it to everybody before they begin. I didn't always do this, but I've, I've started to do it intentionally to say that whatever else our class is, uh, I insist that it is a zone of civility, which doesn't mean political correctness. It means paying attention to one another and speaking to one another kindly, not loudly, not yelling. Now, that's part of the politeness, but but there's more to it than that. Listening and then 
responding. Um, and one of the things I ask somebody is, uh, I ask all my students, uh, if you uh, go, uh, if if you have a set of pronouns that you use to refer to yourself, please let me know. Once in a while, somebody gets put off by that. You're just being politically correct. No, I'm not, because there are people who define themselves. We all define ourselves with words, and and if if someone is being attentive to the words that one wants to use about oneself, you're listening. <laughs> So, so that's why I don't like the political. It's usually used as an insult, as as a as a badge of of. Well, I'm hurt by this because people aren't paying attention, or they're they're privileging something else and they're not paying attention to me, and so they're saying things that I don't want to hear people say. Mm. And I don't just I don't find that useful. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll repeat something I think I said in an earlier show, but it really um, is relevant here. Which is that, you know, it, when it comes to things like this and people getting upset by things like this, there's, it's pretty easy to brush aside the argument of people who are getting angry by things like this. And, and the reason for it is that there's, we have, there's a me and an I, and there's, it's very simple. There's an objective person that exists as far as we know, and there's a subjective person that exists. And so when I look in the mirror, there's, there's a person there and uh, that uh, the whole world can see and can agree upon certain qualities. But then there's also a person inside my head that is looking and seeing this reflection and making a subjective assessment of it. And if I come to a different decision than everybody else, that doesn't change the fact that that is, that is the opinion that I hold. Right. So as a result, you know, civility is really, I, you know, I think that when it comes down to it, being civil is, are you going to have any regard for um, somebody's subjective opinion or are you... Are, is your subjective opinion, are you going to decide that that's the objective opinion? And that's, that's the dance. That is the, the fundamental, you're at the core of it. When you're teaching someone, or when you are at work, there are certain foundational knowledges, and certain things that are practice and procedure for safety, or in a in a in a classroom for here, yeah, you need to know some names of philosophers and and when they were practicing, and here's why. Uh, which is not an assertion of my idea is better than your idea. It's an assertion of here is the common knowledge in our field. Doctors have to learn common knowledge. Contractors have to learn common knowledge. There are all kinds of ways, I suppose, of hammering in a nail. But most contractors who are teaching people as apprentices will show them a smaller range of the ways to do it. And so those, uh, th that's not an assertion. That's an assertion of authority of knowledge, not of absolute value of one's subjective view. But you have to keep separating that in your own mind. There's the active hard work mm -hmm. as a teacher or as any, any practitioner. 
it takes a lot of vigilance to be civil. And the vigilance is over one's own thought processes. Because the I <laughs> almost wants to assert itself over everything. And, 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 and the I has to have that companion that is watching it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I just think that that's, that, like you said, that's the hard work of civility is is parsing out the objective versus the subjective and you know I, the two traps that that i think people fall into is if you're assuming that your subjective is the objective mm-hmm. okay well you think you're a girl but i know you have the parts of a boy so you're not because i said so exactly well that's okay well that's your your subjective opinion but you're making the same flaw that you are assuming the other person is making. You're saying your subjective opinion is not objective. Right. But at the same time, you're asserting that your subjective opinion is objective. Those two things are incongruous. They <laughs> so, are incongruous. So that's, that's one flaw. The other flaw is to just say, oh, okay, well, if what I think is subjective and what you think is a subjective, then there is no objective. So... What everybody believes is right, and you know, just whatever. And I feel like that's yeah, that's meaning that's relativism on a terrible scale, right? Right. So, and you know, that's where we're getting back to that the upstander versus the bystander, you know, and the hard work of civility. You have to take the time to think about the things and realize these are my thoughts, these are my feelings. This is what, based off the other person is saying, what I believe their thoughts and feelings are. I'm willing to adjust what I think about them if they express a different opinion during the course of conversation. And there are objective things out there that I have to measure what I believe and what they believe against. And I'm willing to adjust my thoughts and opinions mm-hmm. against those standards. That's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work and it's a mouthful. And it's worth it. But that's what civility is. It, 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 as, and as you said right back at the beginning, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a practice. You know, I, I enjoy, when I'm at my best, finding uh, things that I can respect about every person that I encounter. Sometimes there's not time to find the things that you respect because the encounter is very, very, very brief. But if you approach an encounter with the potential of finding something to respect, if not to like, that's a lot different than looking at somebody saying, well, this person's going to get something that I'm not. Or the first thing you see somebody is, oh, well, look at how they look, and therefore... There's a great deal of difference in how in civility. I think, uh, on, you know, in speculative here, I think is also about. Uh, you said semantics. We said intention. We said a number of things. It's about approach. Mm-hmm. It's a chosen approach. Yeah, and I, I'll end the episode by coming full circle to talk about the weather. <laughs> because this is something that's happened happened to me just recently, right? So you run into these people, and these people all, you know, I feel like it's very common where we live to have people who um, 
they'll insist that they like one thing, but then we'll complain about everything as far as the <laughs> You know what? I, man, I wish it was summer. But then summer comes around, ah, it's too hot. <laughs> man, I wish it was cool. Yep. You know, and ah, then winter comes around, oh, it's too cold, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody asked me, somebody asked me the other day, and that's, that's what really got me thinking about, what's your favorite season? And I thought, I like them all. You know, because for different reasons, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, it's, it's, it's an approach, you know, spring is good because you get to see the new life and things and you just, that the breath of spring air, when it first, the, the winter first gets to off. run in you. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Or summer, you know, all the things that you can do and all the things that are going on fall, you know, how beautiful it is. Even winter where it's just, there's just this, the stark landscape and you kind of think about how, you know, how you've, how you've, you know, the, the sort of the primal elements of nature and where you fit in and all the mm-hmm, other things about mm-hmm. it. There's something to be appreciated in all of it, you know, and, you know, you can use that as a metaphor for life or for other people or anything. But like you said, you know, it's, it's an approach, you know, you have to, you have to adjust where, where your mindset's at on it. Yeah. So. All right. I think it was a good conversation. I think there's a lot more here, though. Like you said in the episode before, you know, you wanted to do one on social media. I think it's kind of leading in that direction because I feel like (laughs) there's this whole other aspect to civility that has evolved in the 21st century that we still have to talk about. So maybe we'll we'll tackle that next time. But, um, you know, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep pondering.